0: Here's the host of the Talent Talk radio show, the founder and CEO of People G2,
1: Chris Dyer. Hey, good afternoon and welcome to Talent Talk. And we are excited to have uh, two fantastic guests on the show today. And, you know, the reason we have guests on the show is uh, we really enjoy talking to people, finding out what they think about culture, uh, what are they doing about leadership, and what are the challenges and opportunities that they're seeing uh, in their work in everything that they're doing, and what what is it we can learn from them, uh, which is kind of one of the most important things that I'm always thinking about. is what can we learn from our peers and from those people who are in those challenges every day. Uh, I, I meet so many fantastic leaders, whether it's at conferences, whether it's at events, uh, places where I'm attending, or places where I'm speaking, whatever it may be, and I love to find the best people and bring them on this show, uh, as well as people that I found on LinkedIn that are, have something important to say. Uh, and so we really, Try to bring their stories uh, to life here in this show. And so, um, really, uh, so many of the stories have been so impactful, so important that I put a lot of them in my first book, uh, which is a bestseller, "The Power of Company Culture." Uh, love to have you check that out. You can get it on Amazon or Bowl or KoganPage.com. Whatever it is, you find books, you can find my book. Um, and uh, there's a lot of great stories there from everywhere, from Southwest Airlines to General Motors. Uh, to Warby Parker, to to Zappos. So uh, a lot of great lessons there. And we're going to continue with those lessons, continue with those stories, and talk to more fantastic guests today. Um, Before we get to them, don't forget uh, we are live here every Tuesday, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And we love to keep the conversation going on Twitter. So if you're getting us after the fact, make sure you subscribe on iTunes, iHeartRadio. If you're listening live, um, certainly uh, we do that on TuneIn Radio. And uh, you can follow us on Twitter anytime at PeopleG2. You can use that hashtag Talent Talk. My social media guru, Sarah, is there. She is listening intently uh, for all the best things, ignoring all the stupid things I might say, and uh, putting them on Twitter and everything our guests may say that's really important or a good takeaway. We're sort of doing that live. So if you want to follow along and comment and retweet and like and all that stuff, now you know where to go. Um, Okay, so uh, let's talk about my guest today. Uh, My first guest on the show will be Patricia Jones, the CEO of Connected Arrows International. And then we'll take a very short uh, commercial break and just enough time to switch over and bring in Jen Spencer, the president and CEO of the Creative Executive. Uh, As I said, she'll join me in the second half, but let's go ahead and get to the first half and uh, bring in Patricia Jones. Uh, Welcome to the show.
2: Thank you so much for having me. I've uh, been looking forward to this.
1: Well, so have I. So uh, hopefully we'll have a great uh, conversation. And uh, I know you uh, officially as Patricia, but I think you, you maybe commonly go as Patty. Is that right?
2: That's Perfect.
1: Okay, great. I know if someone calls me Christopher, I think I'm in trouble. So um, anyways, uh, why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself? Um, you know, what's important for us to know about you as a leader and what you're doing? And of course, get us caught up on what is Connected Arrows International? What are you doing? And what's important about your company?
2: Well, thank you for allowing me to do that. So I would say that what Connected Arrows is about is is really around, if you think about that, inside your organization, there's there's kind of these arrows coming from the business side, from the technology side, from the talent side, from all different directions. There's, there's also things coming from outside the organization and, and kind of thinking about, like, how do, you, how do you bring all that together? How do you uh, reduce that conflict and, and just kind of really figure out what's going to be high value, impactful, and make a pivot knowing that talent is the center point, that, that enables all of that. So how do you bring all that together? And so we work with executives, board of directors, and organizations on navigating that with them and specifically uh, making sure that there's real change, like navigating change. And uh, so that's what we've done. And, and I think that the important part is, um, you know, my background has had tons of pivots. And it's it's really coming from um, all those different lenses and being able to uh, really have, you know, an eye towards thinking about it in all different types of way and uh, and understanding those workforces. So that's a little bit about myself. Um, I would say that if I was to add one more thing, one of the things that we really focus on is is helping organizations that are that are going through merger integrations, of very different types of organizations, digital or technology transformations, and then um, and really like some finance transformations, so some bigger sweeping changes.
1: And so, when it comes to to managing change, what are some of the bigger challenges that you see organizations facing today?
2: Well, I thought about this in advance of our discussion, and I think that you know, the, the conversations that have been most oh, challenging um, for organizations today are around: we're bringing in this new talent, this unbelievable talent. We're really excited about it, and then we've got this this legacy group of people, right, that have, that have really contributed to the organization. And we're struggling on, on how to bring that together so that, that it, it works well, that it has meaning, that it, it doesn't create so much churn. And so I think that that's the single thing that I, I'm seeing the most. The, uh, the second thing that I'm seeing is that the pace change is becoming something that we we're dealing with every day right that that the pace of change is not what it used to be we we used to go look at you know okay here's what we want to do strategically we're going to create some initiatives we're going to manage that change and it's it's kind of a it's it's now this this how do we culturally adapt to Change is something that we're going to see very, very often. So it's a combination of of those two things and, and trying to create an environment that allows for those things.
1: Yeah, and, and when you sort of talk about the, the pace of change, um, that organizations are really – you know, talking about today, facing today, um, uh, both with technology, with the changes in uh, the economy, politics, uh, availability to, to talent and labor. there's so many things going on right now that maybe were different than five or 10 years ago. Uh, do you feel there's a need to really think about uh, how we consider change management specifically? And how can we in, sort of involve people in new ways to make this better?
2: Well, I I do, in fact, think it needs to be different. And I think, I think there's a couple things. One is, I think that change needs to be thought of much earlier, like in your strategic planning, thinking about, you know, what we want to deliver and how, what change is critical in order for us to be successful. And in fact, if we don't think about change, what are the risks? So I think that you know, thinking about that early on. And then secondly, the idea that you talked about, about, you know, involving everyone, like involving everyone in the change is pivotal. And when I say that, I think um, there's a couple of really simple steps that people can take is one is listening, especially those people who have an opportunity to engage with the customers and just listening to, the different perspectives that people can bring, the diversity of thought around how to solve for things. And then really, how can you involve them, everyone, in helping to have that change take hold? And I can give you a few pragmatic ideas if you're interested.
1: Sure, that'd be great.
2: So one of the things that we've been doing with a lot of organization is one is helping them understand why, what's behind this and and have it have like true meaning to them and and that has made a huge difference. I think that the second thing would be um actually making sure that when we're when we're hearing things that we're that we're proactively listening, but really like how are we going to do something with that or not do something with that, and let them know. You know that that, we're, that they're being heard so so a little bit more of that so that that we have everyone involved in the change. I think that those are the the, the the biggest things. I'd say that the other things is is giving them some tools so that they can be helping through the change either with the customer or with different teams in the organization so People on your, you know, listeners are familiar with the change agent network, like taking that and leveraging that in a in a much more simple yet high impact way.
1: Yeah. And, and you know, you, you kind of started this off with with this idea of listening. And we've talked about it in the show a lot of times, and that's a, one of the pillars in my book, uh, that the best organizations know how to listen. And what I see often is that um, inside of organizations, you sometimes have leaders that will be good listeners, but maybe the average employees are not listening. Um, or the biggest one is the employees are listening to the clients. They are listening to each other. And yet it's leadership that's not listening to them in order to kind of fil- filter that information up. Um, and, you know, so sometimes, you know, change can often be made more difficult by leadership. They're really the ones that have to be to give its approval. They have to drive those changes. And yet it can sometimes be the ones to get in the way. You know, do you think there's a way for leaders um to, to really maybe avoid getting in, in the way of change? Or how, how, do, how do leaders sort of make sure that they are being a part of the right change? Because um, we don't change for change's sake. We don't just change just because someone says we should. We, we expect them to be the filters of good information. So what, what's sort of the best process for them to think about doing that? I think the
2: where I've seen the greatest success is having some kind of a approach to get people aligned. Because If you think about across the departments of the organization, the leadership across, sometimes they have different goals, different um, ways that they think about success, and so having some kind of alignment so that from a you know cross organization perspective, they're in it for the same goals, what they're going after, and then once those most senior leaders uh, have you know, alignment and and when I say alignment, I think of alignment as they see things in the same way, they understand where we're going, and they also have some kind of a view of how they're going to have their various areas really act in a way that supports what they're what they're going after. I think that if you were to take one step further it would be how do we make sure that once those most senior leaders you know, are, are going after something that they, that they really bring along the people that are, you know, part of their team as leaders. And that's where I see the, the biggest, um, you know, the senior leaders are there and then the rest of the organization and kind of the middle can be a place where people are like, well, you know, I'm not there yet. I, I haven't been, you know, uh, brought into those discussions maybe, or, um, I've been told that other things are important, and so, um, so there, there's kind of that um, disconnect, uh, might be a word. So I, I think that how, you know, if, if they can get those two layers, sometimes that 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 to me is a it creates like that mud that sometimes you have to go to to get to the other side of change. It like eliminates that mud.
1: Yeah, yeah, and 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 that mud can really. <laughs> <laughs> it can get you dirty, it can get you stuck. It can get you, you know, slow you down. I mean, all, all those sorts of analogies we can throw it on there. Um, but you know, one of the things I was thinking about in in preparation for you coming on the show today is, you know, certainly around this idea of change uh, and and what we do. And I often see organizations that maybe change too much. They don't change enough at all. They're sort of, you know, on one end of the spectrum or not. But I sort of wonder what your view was on the cost of change. Um, you know, is there a cost and is that cost different for those that don't change enough that to compare to those that change too much?
2: So I, I'm, I'm going to share a few examples that I hope are helpful. So towards the goal of maybe changing too much or taking on too much change. So there was an organization that came to us and they were well on their way, uh, of, of a number of changes so they had actually taken and they were making some technology changes and then they decided to make some product changes and then they tried it they actually decided to change their leadership team and then their organization design and then they changed um... where they were going to be physically located and then they decided to think about well we might need some help so there was a big cost to them they lost talent they lost business they lost the uh focus they lost so much in that undertaking too much so the cost to them was extremely sizable so you can imagine that they somehow really believed that this would just come fall into place and so the cost was very very big for them to their business to their people to um all kinds of different things. So that's that's one extreme of, of too much. The cost of too little is, um, specifically if we think about talent and we we have like this goal that we want to make change, but as we bring in this new talent, we don't really have a commitment to change. We have the idea that we want to change and we invest in this new talent and we Invest into somehow surfacing some ideas, but we don't really act upon it, and so it deflates the organizational talent. It maybe uh, we we get create some excis- excitement with some of our customers, and then we don't actually deliver on it. So there's there's some costs that are outside of you know the true investment. And so I think that those are some of the the risks that are associated with when boards and executives are are thinking about change and actually trying to realize change, some of the things that can occur. I hope that responded, you know to to where you were hoping to head.
1: Yeah, yeah. and I think you know when we think about change, too much change uh, where you started, um, certainly people forget about how much energy and how much time is is put into. Uh, if you're sort of always changing, I think that's different than always trying to improve. If you're always looking for ways to get a little bit better, uh, that for me feels like it works. But when you're trying to make r- giant changes, when you're trying to to impact something, you know, by more than maybe five percent uh, at a time, uh, it just becomes so overwhelming, and right, you, right, to your point, you lose the focus on what you're supposed to be doing. You're, you know, selling your product or service and servicing your clients, and making sure people are paying their bills and all that kind of stuff. Um, we, we look at it, we use sort of James Clear's um, I, uh, idea of the aggregation of marginal gains, which is we're looking, how can we get 1% better? So these are just small changes, small incremental things uh, that we look at doing, as opposed to, geez, let's move to another place, or geez, let's change the entire leadership team, or something that's so dramatic. Uh, that the, the, the focus becomes about the change and not about the results that we're trying to get out of the change. So I think you, you've you articulated it very, very well, and it's it's probably fairly uh, uh, understandable for people that if you don't change at all, then you, you're not keeping up with uh, your industry. You're certainly going to lose talent from, from sort of it's being a boring environment, right, where no one's there to learn and get better uh, and giving them those opportunities to to excel and, and to learn new things. So uh, it certainly made a lot of sense to me. Um, you know, I, I think we sort of look at uh, new talent um, coming in the organization. That's often, no matter where they are on that spectrum, the place where they maybe do get new ideas. And they do try to think a little bit differently, unless they've totally just brought in people who think and act exactly like they do. Um, but maybe as new talent um, oftentimes brings in these new ideas, how do organizations maybe balance the, maybe their legacy ways of thinking and working with, with someone new who has new ideas coming in the door?
2: I think the the best approach that I've seen is to give them a common goal to work towards together and really allow someone to facilitate a process of bringing those ideas together, asking some questions to both so that they can kind of understand each other's perspective and then enabling, you know, there's to be some... Building upon both both of their the group's ideas, so I think that that is one approach that I've seen that that creates some like a uh, a something that they both have invested in, and can see where each other is coming. So that's one way that I have seen. Um, I can add some more, but I'll leave that one on the table.
1: Yeah, please go ahead if you have some more. That'd be great
2: yeah I think that the second thing is is as you're bringing in these 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 new ideas is kind of seeding the legacy team with some of you know w- what is driving right this this change and and helping them to not have it so that they don't Feel like we're we're bringing this person in to take over, so setting some expectations with with both.
1: Yeah, and, and that's really big. Um, setting those expectations and aligning on a common goal um, can really be the difference in allowing people both the understanding of why we do things the way we do. I mean, I, I we used to complain when people would come in to my organization and they had the same like ten or fifteen ideas in the very beginning of when they started working. Um, and, and that's because they hadn't learned everything yet. They had, they had not been exposed to the things that we knew to, to know whether or not those ideas had been tried or whether or not they were good ideas or bad ideas. And so we learned, we needed to do a better job of getting them the information that they needed, uh, sooner, as opposed to just letting them go through this process of slowly learning things, slowly coming up with ideas and being very quickly told, no, we've already done that, or here's why this doesn't work. Um, how do we get them past all of that into new territory and for new ideas to, and in working together without discouraging them, right? We sort of, instead of having those opportunities where they were just constantly being told no the first three months, um, uh, we, how, how do you change that and how do you think about that? So to your point, sort of being intentional about that is really, really important. Well, um, we've got uh, only just another minute or two here. I want to make sure we ask you two of the most important questions. And the first one is, is, Uh, What are you reading right now? Can you tell us about what book we might want to check out?
2: Well, I thought about this um, quite a bit, and I think that one of the things that's going to be critical to everyone, no matter what seat you sit in in an organization, is getting an understanding of the cybersecurity. And I think it's going to be front and center in 2020. And I found there's a Forbes article And the Forbes article is defined as seven, the seven most dangerous tech trends 2020 everyone should know about. And some of the ideas presented in there are around facial recognition, AI cloning, you know, the fake uh, news bots. And I see everyone in the organization now needing to start to have an understanding of how they can – Act in a way so that they don't create risk. And so I think that um, anything around cybersecurity, but especially this article, right? It's a, it's a few minute read, but it gives some visibility to things that I think are, are going to be right in front of us in 2020. So that would be my uh, idea of reading content.
1: Well, fantastic. So, Patty, how can people get a hold of you and find out more about Connected Arrows International?
2: I'd love to hear from your listeners, and I am personally on LinkedIn, very active, and under Patricia Jones and Connected Arrows, if you combine those, you'll find me. And then, of course, uh, via the website, connectedarrows.com, and I would love to hear feedback, comments, questions, thoughts. That would be wonderful.
1: Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. Hopefully, we can have you come back at some point and give us an update on all the fun things that you're doing.
2: That would be amazing. I would love to do that, Chris.
1: All right, we'll be right back after this quick commercial break and bring in my second guest, uh, Jen Spencer.
3: Imagine buying a newspaper and discovering that the news you're reading is six months old. There isn't much that stays the same for six months, and the same thing goes for background checks. In a time when so much outdated information is being passed around, it's good to know that People G2 offers something different. People G2, we provide today's intelligence, not yesterday's news. Our value-added approach offers you a fully FCRA-compliant solution that includes up-to-the-minute information. By combining industry-leading technology with old-school human investigation, People G2 is able to give you information that is accurate right now, delivered quickly to our online system, or integrated with your HR system. So ask yourself, are you comfortable working with old news, or are you ready for a different kind of background check company? Visit PeopleG2.com or call 800-630-2880. That's 800-630-2880 or PeopleG2.com.
1: Welcome back to the Talent Talk Radio Show. In case you missed my first guest, uh, Patty Jones, uh, you can listen to her interview here uh, the next week or two. We'll have that uh, kind of Post it up on uh, talenttalkradio.com or iTunes or iHeartRadio, wherever you find Stitcher, wherever you find your podcast information, it's best to go and find Talent Talk right now and subscribe, and then you'll make sure you get alerted as soon as that show is up and available, Uh, as well as check out all of our past shows. We've been going for, what, four or five years now, and there's a lot of fantastic guests that you may want to check out. All right, my next guest is Jen Spencer, the president and CEO of the Creative Executive uh, Jen, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on today.
4: Thanks for having me, Chris.
1: Why don't you tell one a little bit about yourself, what's important for us to know about you for today's conversation, and of course, tell us more about the Creative Executive.
4: Well, um, I'll start with the Creative Executive. We're a leadership and people development consultancy, and we work with companies of all different sizes across all different industries. And we're really passionate about giving leaders tools and insights in order to be able to help them lead better. Um, and so I got into this about 15 years ago. I was in sales and marketing. And over the course of the last 15 years, we've really grown it. Um, we've got several coaches with different expertise that work with us. Um, and I think the thing about us that's really unique or different is that we um we're kind of picky about who we work with. Uh, we always make sure that we want to be really profiled with the right people. And in doing so, we've really been able to make some great changes. So that's, that's, we're very boldly pragmatic for what we do. Um, and that's a really important ethos for our company.
1: And what about you? What should we know about you for today's uh, conversation?
4: Well, I've been doing this a long time, and I actually have, I mean, I've been doing this a while, and it's been really, you know, I continue to grow as a leader myself in the work that we do, and so we grew this year, we doubled in size and scale, and it was a lot of work, truthfully, Um, and so I'm excited to be here to share some of what our insights have been from that time. Um, to help your audience and your viewers but yeah we've had we've had a really big year and so I'm actually sitting in a we're at an off-site and when I get off the phone with you we're going to sit with the team and plan out our 2020 so I'm excited
1: about that well great maybe we'll come up with something fantastic for them to think about uh for your 2020 but uh, you know, the next thing I was sort of thinking about uh, diving into with you was, is, you know, what are the things that you notice in your work that tend to make the most difference uh, in leadership, leaders' growth and development? Certainly, you mentioned you, you've you done a lot of growing and, and, and being a leader of an organization yourself and sort of seeing that, that journey uh, in reflection. But, of course, with the people that you're working with, what are you sort of seeing as what makes the most difference for them to be able to grow and, and develop as a leader?
4: There are two things that I think really speak to this. One is an appetite to learn, and the second is willingness to act. And those two things, if, people, if leaders embrace them, you can accomplish a whole lot. Um, I think part of in our work with people, if you don't have people who are willing to look at themselves, it's really difficult for them to see um, where their perceptions are accurate and where they're not. And really, at the end of the day, when you're a leader, you're leading people in a particular direction. And so that alignment and perception is really key. And so really, those are the things that, that they sound simple, they're not easy, but people who really want to learn and people who are willing to act based on that learning um, to continue to learn.
1: And I really hate, you know, sort of this uh, anything that tries to put people in categories or groups like, you know, there are two kinds of people, you know, and, and things like that. It's it's often, I think, what separates us in, in so much of our lives and, and whether it's from politics to family to whatever. But I must say, in this one category, I do put people in two groups, um, right or wrong. And that is there are definitely people who, want to, who seem to be lifelong learners, who are open to learning, who want to learn. And there are those that are just seems like it's begrudgingly going into their heads. So how do we get past that? How do we help people want to to think about learning and wanting to do better, um, uh, whether it's for themselves or for the organization or or a little bit of both?
4: Right, so it doesn't feel like coercion,
1: right? Yes. (laughs) So it feels like they're leaning in.
4: Um, So the way that we have seen the most success with this is actually tapping into individual motivations and passions. That seems to be... I think there there have been different philosophies around leading and managing people, where the idea is that um, you kind of have this systemic approach. But the reality is, we're humans and we're complicated. And if you have a team of five people and you have a team meeting, when you leave, each of those individual five people has a different perspective and a different mandate about how they perceive what they're supposed to do. Right. And so part of this is really helping tap into an individual's desires. Um, we don't believe you can. Uh, I think motivation is intrinsic. It's internal, but we can inspire people's motivations. And if we don't know what we they are, we can't do that. And so that's how we actually, instead of coercing, we try and create buy-in right around what we do. And sometimes there are people that need to also, I think companies have a hard time Um, letting go sometimes that's legal and sometimes that's emotional attachment or whatever that is and sometimes if people have stopped learning and and they don't want to learn anymore and you're a learning organization it's probably time for that person to move on and so I think part of that is if you've done your due diligence and you've really tried to tap into what that person's all about and you can't find an avenue for them to do that within the organization it's time to move on
1: yeah, maybe it's just not. I, I certainly have seen that where people it's not the right time in their life for them to be open to that, and, and you know they get asked to leave or change careers or have to do something different. They're often kind of awoken to maybe, well, maybe I just can't keep doing what um, what I've been doing, um, but it can often take that sort of I guess abrupt change in their career path uh, to realize that. Um, Wait, can, you, Chris, know, so,
4: can I say one more thing about that? Yeah, sure. Because I think I think the other piece about that is. Um, Theoretically, right, when you get to a point, there's, there's a conversation along the way. And what, what I will say is if you have somebody in a role that shouldn't be in that role or is not performing in that role, I think we often underestimate the negative impact that one person not being into their job can create for a whole bunch of people. And so, even though in the immediacy it can feel like, oh, that's going to be really hard to put this, some you know, to remove this person or to do something else with it, the impact around is really where the, a lot of the damage happens. And so that's why I think it's really key to make sure people are engaged at their work, right? So that you don't end up losing some other people to someone's negative, you know, or or a lack of like leaning in to what you guys are trying to do.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and I agree. And and you sort also sort of mentioned. You know, if you bring five people into um, a, a meeting and they may all have a different perception, I also made me think immediately are those five the five people in a company, or are those five people on a team inside of a medium company or an extremely large company? So, how does a company size actually affect, you know, culture and performance, especially as it relates to, to helping people, you know, in their growth and development goals?
4: I think also I just want to clarify, it's a lot to me about the, like there's an individual process and then there's a team process. So that would apply to all of those companies that you mentioned, small, large, mid midsize, right, um, executives, team players. I think there is always kind of how do we individually process something and then what's the group experience around it. In terms of how size can affect culture, I think around people development Um, I think what's really key is when you have larger, like a larger company and you scale, it does change culture. So the first thing is like that is a part of it. And helping people get ready for change and understanding change is really key. Um, Humans don't really like it, even the ones that say they do. And so I think that part becomes key. But I also think um, culture is not like static. And so as the company shifts and grows, the people engagement will need to shift and grow, too. So with larger companies, you tend to have people that are more interested in harnessing volume, and so you can do different types of development with them. Um, We have a a partner that we work with that does um, social impact work within organizations, and so we have one of our clients, and we brought them in, and they're going to do a whole session for about a quarter of their company, um, and it's really there for a couple of reasons. One is to help them – you know, navigate their community outreach process in a more strategic way. But the other is to really get people on board with things they're passionate about Um, and with social impact specifically that, that tends to be an easy spot to go. So I think that the other thing I will say that becomes really important with size and culture and people development is the larger a company gets, the easier it is to hide both good and bad behaviors or I might say it a different way, the easier it is to miss good and bad behaviors. And so Uh, it becomes really, right? It becomes really important for people to make sure that that communication is happening at all sorts of levels um, and make sure that it's not just direct reports, right? But maybe you do, this is this, I don't love this term, but it's called a skip meeting, where if you're, you know, if you have, your direct report, and then their direct report. You might just have a lunch with their direct report, and it's not to—it's not to uh, be sneaky about it. It's just to get input that you're not going to get otherwise. Yeah. And that input is yeah. really valuable. So I think you've got to find different ways to get it when it's when it gets really big.
1: Yeah, and and that, that can be huge, and it certainly uh, help you have a better understanding of what's going on and where the person is at. Um, you know, so so much of that. Um, I, I really liked sort of your term, sort of that behavior being, you know, seen or not seen or hidden or not hidden. But it was really interesting for me and my uh, organization is, it actually took us going remote, actually sending everybody home for us to f- see more clearly who was working really well and who we were having challenges with. Because we sort of gotten used to some of the minutiae inside the office, right? And if someone had rustling papers and their stapler was going constantly, they must be very productive, Right. Um, or if they were, you know, very good politically or very friendly or brought, uh, you know, cookies into the office or things like this, right. They could easily sort of sway people's opinions about them and their work, but we all went remote that all got removed. It was all about the work. It was all about the inter- interactions you had in doing the work. Uh, and for us, it was sort of that trick to maybe take the, the, the veil or the blinders off of our eyes, uh, as to, and, and most importantly found out there were some fantastic people doing this amazing work we had never even realized uh that was the bigger thing for me more so than a few people we had to deal with um so it's a a great point that you make
4: well and to get to acknowledge them right because that's Mm -hmm. that's also the piece it's not just i think the negative stuff tends to get most of the attention but part of the way to deal with the negative stuff is actually to find out what's working and really leverage that And so I think it's easier also in companies to say what's not working. Um, And if you can find, again, sharing those stories among the company, it also is really inspiring for people across the board. Um, They can see where they can make an impact and that it gets recognized and that they're valued.
1: And and so as as organizations are are looking to to do all of this, I mean, part of this is is really about – um retaining your top people. This is about keeping those those people that you want in your organization happy, growing, uh engaged, uh doing their best work. So what are some of the barriers you see to really retaining your top talent?
4: Well, we've talked about a couple of them. I think having a bad manager, right? <laughs> who's not who doesn't hear you, or uh not like not being engaged in the things that an individual cares about can really be barriers to retention. Um you know, I think of it as like toxic environments and that can create a lot of different types of behaviors, right? Whether it's people management or even, um, you know, there are times when data becomes or information becomes currency in organizations. And you talked about this a little bit in your book too, about transparency. But I think, and that's always a delicate, I think you've mentioned this too, it's always a very delicate thing around how much do you share and what do you share with people but if people are, are, are not sharing and then that data is being transferred around in the back end, it it, it, it doesn't usually create a great sustainable team experience.
1: Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And 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 often if you don't have enough transparency, people will make a conclusion. And whatever their they conclusions do. are, that is their reality, regardless of whether or not that's the truth. Um, and so I often tell people, you know, they, they get concerned about transparency and how much they can tell people. And I said, they're going to make a decision. They're going to make a conclusion on their own. Do you want it to make them with the, with the facts, with the real data, or do you want them to make up their own data uh, and decide things about you and your company and, and your organization and its culture? Uh, and usually then the, the choice is very clear. Um, but I think they think if they're going to hide around some of the details that people won't be mad at them or won't judge them as harshly or whatever that may be because no organization is perfect. No leader is perfect. No, no one, you know, no. and if we sort of get that information out there, I was really shocked to find my, my organization was really there to help me. And they stepped up in so many ways to find solutions to challenges and find ways to deal with things that I hadn't found, uh, on my own. Uh, and that was really what the, the big lever I think in transparency.
4: Yeah, I'm a big, I'm a big fan of it. And I think, you know, I do think you have to be mindful about how you use it because you also want to speak. It's sort of like, not that work is politics, but it sort of is right when you, when you, you want to speak to the audience. Right? So if you're speaking to a bunch of numbers people, you're going to talk very differently than if you're speaking to a group of HR professionals. And so I think it's really key when you're ha- being transparent to communicate to the audience that you're with. I think one of the biggest things that we see that is like the nastiest apple in the bunch is that when people visibly see that there are no consequences for bad actions, specifically taken by management and above. And so what that means is there's a different set of rules right, for them and for us, which does not create team. So I think that when consistency among levels, right, or being transparent when you're not being con- consistent and communicating why is really helpful in helping the team grow and grow together.
1: Right, absolutely. Well, one of the things that um, we really have to think about um, with transparency is to make sure that people have uh, certain things in place and one of those things is autonomy uh, you could even call that a certain uh, self-awareness uh, as really keys to a sustainable career development within a company I mean if people don't have the ability to work where they want how they want when they want to, to whatever degree is a- allowed within an organization and, and possible for the work that they do um, certainly autonomy means something different for someone on an assembly line than it does for uh, a, you know, a, a person who's in uh, a bookkeeper who can work at any time of the day they want. Um, you, you know, what, what are you say, some of your thoughts on how we encourage that and use that as a tool within side of our company for career development?
4: Well, I think if, you, if people are not hiring autonomous people, it's, you're, you are creating a dependency, <laughs> right? Autonomous people, and there can be such thing as too much autonomy, right? But autonomous people, in my mind, know them, like have a sense of self-awareness and want to, at least the ones I'm talking about in this context, and want to be able to contribute. And when they contribute, they are able to see their contributions make impact, right? So whether you're talking about the, the factory worker, Right. Or you're talking about the bookkeeper. Theoretically, you want the factory worker to follow the Kaizen principles. Right. Where if there's something wrong, they let people know there's something wrong, regardless of if they have one screw or if they're putting on the entire piece of a car right side of a car. And I think with bookkeeping, right, if you are a 1099 person or if you're a freelancer, right, that's doing this outside of uh, doing this more in that kind of capacity, you still want what you want to be able to guide your work process and and have influence. And so I think the key with hiring autonomous people, right, is you don't just want them autonomous people for you, but you also have to let them be autonomous. And so part of that is we talk about this as like um, creating the guardrails, right? So giving people the vision of where you want to go right letting them know how how you what the expectations are and where the guardrails are and then letting them provide input to help shape out the rest of the experience um and i think that really does make a difference and when people practice that what happens is you start to get all these really wonderful surprises of people you get to see who leans in and who doesn't right and that also right. just helps from a resourcing perspective say okay what team are do we need to put these people on right because if if this team is all innovators and these guys are all implementers right is this an implementer or an innovator and so not that you can't be both but i think it's good it helps people it's almost like self selection in some ways but i think you're the people who are managing the workforce need to have strategy around that
1: yeah yeah absolutely and so as we sort of looked at this initially through the lens of an, an employee and, and trying to make sure they have autonomy and uh, that uh, part of their part of their work to be happy and, and successful, uh, that then sort of bleeds into the team environment, which you started to, to talk about. If we look at teams that may be disparate teams, how do we help them align? How do we help them be better inside of organizations?
4: Well, I first, this is like a really simple thing, Chris, but people have to talk to each other. <laughs> they have to, like, get out of, like, whether that's you pick up the phone instead of Skype, right, or um, you have a cup of coffee in your Skype meeting before you actually launch into something, right? You can do this virtually and in person, but people need to be able to communicate. So that's that's the first one. You have to have a relationship with your team um, in order to be able to, like, make the team great. The second thing to me is really having a vision, like what we talked about. So a vision of, like, where you want to go. And um, when you're unclear about that and you're getting information, even communicating that can be very helpful. It lets people into the process. Um, Humans really like certainty. And so anything that you can do to help them understand certainty is really valuable Um, and or understand where the certainty lies. I'll just say that. Um, And then, you know, the other piece is like the mandate, the expectations. I think a lot of times people either put too many expectations or don't put any at all right and there's like there's a nice sweet spot and again it depends on the individual and their work style and the leader but I think it's really important to communicate this is what success looks like for the company this is what success looks like for me what does success look like for you so that you have all those levels of of being able to address and align so that it's much easier to do the complex work that we do on a daily basis
1: yeah, and that's so so uh, true. I mean, I love it. I wanted to almost interrupt you and say, you know, keep it simple, stupid. When you start talking about just they need to talk, right? I mean, there's just some basic things that mm-hmm. we can encourage people to do. Um, we often we encourage our staff to to have at least one video conference call every day, and that's just to be able to see a human face, to have the interaction, to to read the other person. Do they feel you know connected to them? Do they feel like they're hiding something? They're not telling them the whole story, whatever it may be it's so different than just slacking or emailing or whatever it may be to actually have a real conversation with somebody and uh, it makes a big difference so um, there's
4: a really there's a really great techno uh research uh called conversational intelligence and it's a book um by the she's deceased um but uh dr judith glazer and one of the things i love about that book is it talks about levels of conversation and so the first one is like ask tell so it's like you know, I call in, or you guys call me, and then I get on the line, right? Like that's very simple, and I can follow instruction. The second level is um, inquire, advocate. So it's when I, it's what we talked about a little bit earlier. Um, it's not coercion, but it's trying to get people to do what you want them to do, right? So um, it can come off as open in the beginning, but really there's an agenda there. And then the third level, which is the juiciest level, is the is the um, it's the open sharing part. And that is when you literally have a conversation with somebody and you don't have an agenda and you're just connecting. And what they've shown is that the part of your brain that holds trust and where trust is gets activated when you have those deeper level conversations. So it doesn't even have to be about work, but it helps build trust. You can do this with your clients. You can do this with your spouse. You can do this with your employees. It's like the, the, the most accessible, cheapest tool you can use to be able to create trust um, with your people. So that's yeah, just a lot, that just sort of like heightens like conversation is really important and the world's really busy and we forget that. And when we slow down to make it, I rarely have people say that it wasn't useful if they've got the right people in the right seat.
1: Right. Right. I agree. Well, um, one of the things I want to make sure we ask you as we're kind of winding this conversation down is, is can you tell me what book you're reading right now? Well, we
4: were we were <laughs> we were laughing about this on the way up in the car Um, I have avid readers on the team. Um, One of the books that I've I've read a couple of times this summer, actually, is Scaling Leadership. And it's written by um, someone who actually helped influence the Leadership Circle Profile, which is an amazing tool that we use with leaders. And the thing I love about the book, they basically have – it's a quantitative and and qualitative assessment – and so you can see, depending on, they can aggregate data, they can segment data based on like direct reports and peers and all that kind of stuff. But what they did is they took all the qualitative data that they got from these assessments of over a couple hundred thousand senior leaders from all over the world, and they coded them. And through the coding process, they got all these really interesting additional insights out. And one of them is that um, that I that I just think is really interesting is that oftentimes when you have technical expertise in your business, right? That's what you're really good at. Um, when you double down in technical expertise from what I'd call more of a controlling perspective or a controlling um, style, what ends up happening is it actually cancels out the stuff that actually would help you scale leadership in an organization. And so I love just even the concept of scaling leadership. When we talk to people about it, it really resonates. Um, and and so that book, it's an, it's an easy read, um, and you can actually take the assessment as well when you get the book. But it's a, it's a really good book, and I think for people who are interested in learning about the behaviors that create positive business performance and those that really can take away from it, this is a great book.
1: And what was the... Um, uh... So the scaling leadership, and then you mentioned another book earlier. Uh, what what was that one again? Regarding uh, conversations with oh, people,
4: conversational conversational intelligence.
1: Yeah, conversational, Con- conversational intelligence. intelligence. Okay, good. Want to make yep. sure our listeners have a chance to jot that down or uh, heard that uh, correctly. Um, well, we, and uh, we are also- yeah.
4: We also, Chris, I just was going to tell you, we do have a resource guide that we share with people. And so we can send that to you guys if helpful to put on the site so that it's got a bunch of different leadership and management resources that we like to share that are available for people.
1: Yeah, that would be fantastic. And, uh, you know, that might be a a good segue for us to ask, you know, how can people get a hold of you? What's the best way for them to reach out? Maybe they want to get that guide from you as well. But what's the best way for them to do that?
4: Okay, great. Well, you can always go find us at creative-executive.com. We also, we're based in Austin, Texas, so always feel free to call us if you're in town. We'd be happy to take you for a cup of joe. And then I'll also say if you want to email us, you can email us at hello at creative-executive.com and we will respond quickly.
1: Well, now I know who I'm visiting next time I go to Austin, so uh, that'll be great. Uh, I suggest uh, all of you do that as well. And uh, Jen will certainly be a, a good contact uh, for everything in this topic. We've we've got, kind of gone over today from culture and leadership and and uh, business development. Uh, thank you, Jen, so much for being on the show today and sharing all of your uh, great bits of wisdom. Uh, hopefully, we can have you on the show again at some point uh, to give us an update on all the cool things you're doing.
4: Thanks so much, Chris. I appreciate uh, what you're doing in the world.
1: Take care. All right. Thank you so much. All right. Uh, hope everyone enjoyed today's show. Uh, Next week, my guests will include Tristan Cromer, innovation coach and founder of Chromatic, and then uh, Crave uh, Kissinger, the director of HR of National Tube uh, Supply Company. So until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today.
0: You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio, brought to you by People G2.